If you will, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews chapter 7. That's where we will spend all of today. Matter of fact, we'll be going through the whole book or the whole chapter today. And I know some of you are thinking this could be dangerous. And yes, it could. Let's start off with the funny. I fell down the steps this morning. And you know what I learned after falling down the steps this morning? First, I learned that my dog is not as good of a guard dog as I thought she would be because she barked twice and then put her head back down on the pillow and went back to sleep. (laughs) The second thing I learned, though, is it takes a lot longer to get up when you fall at this age. (laughs) Jennifer ran downstairs and she's like, let me help you up. Let me help you up. And I'm just sitting there. I'm laying there halfway on the steps, halfway on the floor. And I'm like, just give me a minute. Just time out. Give me a minute. But it's, it's crazy how we used to. I could fall down those steps because I have done it multiple times, guys. That's not the first time. It's not, it's not something that ain't going to happen again either. But it's crazy how I can fall down those steps now and it takes so much longer to get up than when it, what it used to. Used to, I was vibrant. I would have bounced right back up, laughed, and Jennifer would have probably never even known I hit the floor. Now it's just thud, and I'm there. I'm planted like a tree by the water. I'm not going to be moved. But this morning, I want to start off with a little bit of a correction. Um, I tend to be a little bit of a perfectionist when it comes to my sermons. That's the only thing I'm a perfectionist at, my wife says. And sometimes I work myself up in such a tizzy over preaching God's Word that I get up here and I forget just to breathe. And when I do that, I will say some things that I do not mean. Like last week, I said that I started talking to God again on September 11th, 2021. I promise you I was talking to God before that. I promise you I was talking to God before that. But that just goes to show you what a perfectionist I can be, that I get my nerves so worked up in delivering God's word that I just spit out all kinds of craziness sometimes. Today, I want to talk about our progression, though. The progression of not only where we came from and where we've been, but the progression of also to where we're going. And I want to start off by summarizing the whole book, or chapter 7 of Hebrews, in this statement. This is the progress with all of our lives as believers. The king of peace and righteousness has always existed. He has always sustained us. He has always blessed us. And he has always provided for us, even when we were far from him. On a pursuit for perfection, we did everything in our power to find peace and to find what was right. That pursuit only showed us a couple of things, though. It showed us we're limited. It showed us we're weak. 
and it showed us we're flawed. It showed us that we need something better, greater, and more than we can offer ourselves. It showed us that we needed the one who had been sustaining us, who had been blessing us, and who had been providing for us all along the way. That pursuit showed us that we always need what was always there. We've always needed what was always there. And that pursuit showed us that what we needed was Jesus. When the writer's writing Hebrews chapter seven, he is talking again to Hebrews, but he's talking to them about some things that they are well aware of. Any Hebrew had heard of the priest Melchizedek. A lot of you are looking at it in your Bible right now and you're saying, Scotty, it's Melchizedek. No, it's Hebrew, it's Melchizedek. But, <laughs> only a seminary student would amen that. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> you could have saved it for five minutes, dude. Five minutes from now, you could have saved that one. But in this, he's telling a story. He's telling a story about a progression of not only Israel, but also a progression of how things come about, how we got to where we are, and how we're getting to where we're going. And in Hebrews chapter seven, verse one, this is what he says. And I'm gonna read the whole chapter, so y'all bear with me. Y'all know sometimes my dyslexia gets the best of me. For this, Melchizedek, King of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham apportioned a tenth of all the spoils, was first of all, by the translation of his name, King of Righteousness. And he was also King of Salem, which means king of peace. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but may, remains a priest perpetually. Now observe how great this man whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the choices spools to. And those indeed, and whose indeed of his sons of Levi, who received the priest's office, have commandment in the law to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their brethren, although these are descendants from Abraham. But the one whose genealogy is not traced from the collection a tenth from Abraham and blessed the one who had the promise. But without any dispute, the lesser is blessed by the greater. In this case, mortal men receive tithes. But in that case, one receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives on. And so to speak through Abraham, even Levi, who receives tithes, pay tithes. For he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Now if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood for on the basis 
of it, the people received the law. What further need was there for another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be designated according to the order of Aaron? For when the priesthood is changed of necessity, there takes place a change of the law also. For the one concerning whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no one has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, a tribe with reference to which Moses spoke nothing concerning the priest. And this is clear still. If another priest arises according to the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become such not on the basis of law of physical requirements, but according to the power of indestructible life. For it is attested of him. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, there is setting aside a, <clears throat> of a former commandment, because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. Underline that. Underline that in your Bibles. That is very important. We're going to hit on that a lot today. On no other hand, on the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. And inasmuch as it was not without oath, for they indeed became priests without an oath, but he with an oath through the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. So much the more also Jesus has become the guarantee for a better covenant. The former priest, on the one hand, existed in great number because they were prevented, prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily, like those high priests, to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sin, and then for the sins of the people. Because this, because this he did once for all, when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men a high priest who are weak. But the word of the oath, which came after the law, appoints a son made perfect forever. Pray with me. Father, we come to you this morning as a weak, fallible, imperfect people. And maybe I'm just speaking to myself. But Father, as I look back at my life, I'm amazed at what you've brought me from and what you're bringing me to. And today, as we look at this scripture, Lord, 
I pray that we would not only see it through the eyes of what these Hebrews were seeing, but that we would see it through the lenses of what we have already gone through. Father, for many today, they know that you have always existed. They know that you sustain them, even when, you, when we were far from you. They know that they tried everything in their power to live according to a law that only showed them to be weak and flawed. But we know also, Lord, that it's because of your son, Jesus Christ, that our sins are truly forgiven, not just covered, forgiven, blotted out. And as we dig into this scripture today, Lord, I pray that we not only see our progression of where we have come from to where we are going, but I also pray that we see the snares and the pitfalls that we all fall into in many times, Lord. Father, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand what your word has for us this morning. Thank you so much, Lord, for all that you've done. Thank you for the baptisms last week. Thank you for the new members that are joining um, in the next couple of weeks as well, Lord. I just pray that you would continue to use this church for your purpose and for your glory. It's all these things we ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I told Aaron the other day, we were sitting talking about the book of Hebrews, and I told him I'm really starting to have a love-hate relationship with the book of Hebrews, more so hate than love, because this is an extremely hard book, not only to understand, but it's an extremely hard book to preach from, especially when you're trying to preach from this book to Gentile believers who don't always understand what's being talked about in the word that he's talking to. Again, I've said this, but I want to make this clear. He's talking to Hebrews. And Hebrews held tightly to their traditions, their genealogies, and most Hebrews knew the Torah. The Torah were the first five books of the Bible, and many of them knew them by memory. I do good to memorize one verse. I do good to call my boys by the right name. You know what I'm talking about? I'll call them every name in the book except for their own. They still look at me. They know who I'm talking about. They're getting used to it. But when it comes to this priest, this king by the name of Melchizedek, we've got to understand a couple of things. He is only mentioned in three scriptures throughout all of the Bible. He's mentioned in Genesis chapter 14. He's mentioned in Psalm 110, and we will finish up with Psalm 110, or I'll read it to you. But he's also mentioned here in Hebrew. And what we see in Hebrews tells us a lot about him. He is the king of Salem. Now, a lot of people want to argue what was Salem. Some people say Salem was Jerusalem. Some people say it wasn't. I'm just going to give you my best answer. I don't know. I know that he was king of Salem, but I know behind the meaning of Salem, there is something greater than just a destination. The meaning, Salem, is peace. So wherever it was he reigned, his name was not just the king of Salem, it was the king of peace. We also see that in there, that his name in Hebrew means king of righteousness. Melchizedek, or Melchizedek is righteous, or king. Zedek is 
of righteousness. Let me get that right. That's what his name meant. Okay, so just by looking at this, we can tell just from our eyes that this isn't just your normal everyday king. Not only that, it also says that he is the first priest of the Most High God ever mentioned in the Bible. But then there's a lot of speculation that comes with this man as well. It says in there that there is nothing mentioned of his mother, his father, or his genealogy. And I know for some of us, we won't think that there's anything big about this. But the book of Genesis is a book of genealogy. And everybody who is mentioned in the book of Genesis, almost everybody who's mentioned in the book of Genesis, it tells us about where they come from. It tells us about who their mama was, who their mama's mama was, who their daddy's mama was, and who their aunts and uncles are on both sides of the family. It tells us everything. But this man is silent. It doesn't tell us anything about his birth, and it doesn't tell us anything about his death, which again, for Genesis, is extremely strange. All of the patriarchs is told about their birth and is told about their death. We see it in their genealogy, and we even see when they're laid to rest, some of them next to their father, some of them. Bones were even taken to Egypt. And this leads to a lot of speculation. So who is this guy? Who is this guy? And over the years, there have become many, many theories. Two of the theories I thought was kind of not comical, but a little bit humorous considering how the book first starts off in Hebrews. Some people say that he was a prophet before there was any prophet. Some people say that he was an angel. And remember, the book of Hebrews starts off with Jesus is greater than all the prophets and all the angels. So I can see how that would make sense. There are some groups out there. Y'all ready for this one? There's some groups out there that say he's from another planet. I kid you not. I read their doctrinal statement and I am not converting. But this has brought a lot of speculation, which brings us to a point that we really need to grip. We all need to get a grip on this one statement. Whenever the Bible is silent, we need to be silent. Whenever the Bible is silent about something, we need to be silent. Speculation, all these thoughts, all these opinions do nothing but cause division. This is where conspiracies come from. This is where all these things come from. And I know, guys, I've seen a lot of them. I've seen to where a guy was trying to explain to me how the book of Revelation had UFOs in it. I'm not sure what he's been smoking, but he's been smoking a lot of it. But we got to be careful with trying to ascribe anything other than what the Bible says here. The Bible says this. He was from a land of the Canaanites. He was the king of the Canaanites. But therein that light brings a problem. Because you know what the Canaanites are? The Canaanites are a cursed people. They're a cursed people from the descendants of Ham. They were scattered out at the same time that 
the, fall, the Tower of Babylon was built. This is a king of a cursed group of people. But this king of this cursed group of people feeds, encourages, and blesses Abraham when Abraham needs it the most. Genesis chapter 12, we start reading about Abraham, okay? In 13, we read about the story of him and his cousin, or him and his nephew, splitting up where they're going to go. He gives Lot the choice, okay? One of us has got to go to the right, one of us has got to go to the left, because we're too big to be together. So he gives Lot the choice. So what do you think Lot chooses? He chooses the best, greenest choice to slant. And Abraham, being a very, very humble man, says, okay, go. Well, while he's in that green choice land, there becomes a problem. A group of individuals start attacking Lot, his family, and all the kings. Matter of fact, they take all of Lot's possessions. Abraham gets mad. You know what Abraham does? Abraham does what any good redneck cousin would do. He goes and he whoops tail. That's the best way to say it. If you want to know what happens the rest, that's what happens. But after he does this, and he does this with 318 men, you tell me it wasn't a redneck story. That's a redneck story and a half. But he does it with 318 men. And after he does this with this 318 men, Abraham is absolutely beat. And out of nowhere, here comes this king, this king of peace, this king of righteousness, this king with no genealogy, this king with no beginning, and this king with no end. And he blesses Abraham. He feeds Abraham. And he encourages Abraham. Out of a cursed people came a very big blessing. We'll come back to that point in a minute. Because of what Melchizedek had done to Abraham, Abraham returned his thanks to Melchizedek with an homage, with a tenth, with a tithe. He gave him a tenth, a tithe, an homage of every spoil that was taken and more. And you know, if we're not careful, we can read this scripture, especially the first nine scriptures, first nine verses, and we can think that this scripture is all about tithing. And I'm going to tell you something, guys. It's not. It's not about tithing. It's about him paying regard and respect to this individual who blessed him so greatly. Now, tithing, that is something that believers do. We give of our portions back to God. Why? Because God has blessed us. And this is the same return that Abraham is given to him. And I want you to consider this because a lot of people say, well, tithing's not in the law. You're exactly right because tithing was not even, the law was not even written when this was done. This is before the law even come about. This is before the law of the priest had ever come about. Yet God chose the first priest, the first priest to be called priest of the Most High God to come out of a cursed 
people. That should give us all hope. The next thing he goes into in verses 9 through uh, 16 is he starts talking about the Levitical priesthood. And the Levitical priesthood, we know, comes out of the law. Verse 19, I told you to underline that point. The law was never meant to make people perfect. Well, here's where I wrestle with that. I wrestle with that because the majority of my life, I have been chasing this ideal of perfection. You know what I'm talking about? I have been chasing this whole ideology of perfection. And every time we get close to our own idea, because here's the thing about it. We're probably 150, maybe 150 people in here this morning. You know how many opinions of perfection I can get out of 150 We're Baptists, so it'd be 300. But I can get an idea of perfection from every single one of you. All of us have our own identification with what we consider perfection. But we all chase for this idea of perfection. And we always find out that we're always lacking a little. You know what I mean? I mowed my grass the other day and it looked absolutely beautiful. So if my voice goes out in a little bit, you know why. But the next day after I got done mowing my grass, you know what I started seeing? The spots I missed. You know what I'm talking about? Men, you know what I'm talking about? And everything in me yesterday, you know what I wanted to do yesterday? I wanted to get out the lawnmower and I wanted to kill every one of them blades of grass that messed my lawn up. Because in my mind, that is perfection. A nice smooth ground. Especially after three weeks of not being able to mow grass because of rain every week. But that is my idea of perfection. But every time I chase that idea of perfection, I realize that I have limitations. I realize that I have imperfections. And I realize that I have shortcomings. But yet, does that stop me from chasing it? No, a lot of times that makes me chase it even more and even more. For some of us, we come to a point where we realize that this pursuit, this pursuit of perfection is nothing more than a lifelong game of Monopoly. How many of y'all remember playing Monopoly? I was in Walmart checkout the other day and they've got a Blairsville Monopoly. I was tempted to buy it. I was wondering what roads were on it. I was wondering if they had Catustia on it. For those who've lived here a long, a long time, that's Kalgiski. I don't know if you've ever read it. It doesn't say Kalgiski. But I was wondering what roads were on it. But it took me back to a time when I was a kid. And we used to play Monopoly a lot as a kid. And these games would go on forever. Who could buy a boardwalk? Who could buy the railroads? Who could buy all of it? Man, we got so crafty at one time. We even, bought, we even made our own rule and we could buy the jail. Man, whoever bought the jail, they racked up. 
because they got to determine bail and they could just clean house right then. But one thing that I learned in Monopoly is while I'm on this pursuit of perfection, which is this round or square board, and it has all these properties, and my ideal of perfection is that I own everything. But if I own everything, you know what that means? Nobody else can play. You're playing with yourself. And that gets pretty boring. Sometimes this pursuit of perfection in our lives becomes such a pursuit that it's just like that game of Monopoly. And it's a game where we get everything we want while we crush everyone around us. And in that pursuit, you know what I found? I found that there was no peace. I felt that I didn't feel right about the situation. And that's where the writer of Hebrews is trying to get to with the people. There is a law that God has given us. But before there was a law, we've got to remember this. There was a gracious, loving, merciful King of peace and King of righteousness. Because the law points out everything that we are not. Like it says in verse 19, the law was never meant to make people perfect. The only thing it was meant to do was to make people aware of their sin. In verse 18, it tells us that the law could not make us righteousness. It could only show us how unrighteous we are. It gave us the knowledge of the sin in our life. In verse 23, it says, under the law, the priest had to, <clears throat> had to be chosen because, <clears throat> because the older priest would die. The law limited a priest to a group of people, but these priests did not live forever. There always had to be new priests. But in verse 26, it also goes on to say, under the law, the people were distant from God. The priests were the only ones who could go before God for us. And then in verse 7, 27, it says, Under the law, the sacrifice could never take away sin. It could only cover it. And you know, we've got people who say we need to live by the law. And parents, forgive me for what I'm going to say, but I'm going to be blunt. If we live by the law, we are damned. If we live by the law, there is no salvation. There is only a list of do's and don'ts. And there is never an opportunity for us to come to a right standing with God. There is never an opportunity for us to come into a relationship with God. There is only an opportunity for our wrongs to be pointed out. But what people don't understand is the law was never created to save us. The law by God was not created to save us. It was put in place 
to show us how far away from him we were. Where's the perfection in that? Where's the perfection in that? Where's the perfection in being told that you are constantly not enough? Where's the perfection in being told constantly that you can't come before God? Where's the perfection in constantly pointing out your sin? Now, in no way am I saying that the law is meaningless. Because in every believer's life, without the law, you would not know you need salvation. Without the law, you would have not known you were wrong. Without the law, you would have not known that there was a penalty for sin. But brothers and sisters, the law was never God's instrument for saving our souls. The law showed us that we needed something greater, something better, and something more. Recently, I found myself at a crossroads in life. And this whole thing about living for perfection is starting to die away. Because what I've realized is that living for perfection is an endless pursuit to where myself and everybody around me is miserable. And John Maxwell said it best when he said, there comes a point in everybody's life when we stop chasing success and we start living for significance. For some people that comes about 45, for some people, for ladies, it probably comes a lot earlier. For men, later on in life, not gonna lie. But I have really started thinking about this a lot lately. What is significant in my life? Because the pursuit of perfection is not making any difference in my kids. The pursuit of perfection is not making any difference in my wife. The pursuit of perfection is not making any difference in my family. The pursuit of perfection is not making any, any achievements in my friends. And you want to know what else? A pursuit of perfection will never accomplish anything in a church. Think about that for a minute. How many of us walk through those doors acting like we got to have everything together? How many of us would be absolutely embarrassed to know about the argument that we had with our wife before we even got onto this property? I'm going to tell you a little secret. Me and my wife no longer have any more arguments to church because I drive separately. Her life's a lot happier ever since. But how many of us are ashamed of all the things that we've got going on, all the garbage, all the junk that we got going on in our life. And when we come in, we put on this beautiful persona that we are perfect Christians. 
you know what? Perfect Christians don't need a savior. Perfect Christians don't need a law. Perfect Christians have their life together. And perfect Christians, they don't exist. We are flawed. We are empty. We are broken human beings. But when we choose significance, we're choosing something greater than ourselves. Not much is said about Melchizedek. But one of the passages that is wrote, and I don't want you to turn there, I just want you to listen. You can write it down and look at it later. It's Psalm 110. And the title of this is, The Lord Gives Dominion to the King. And in the psalm it says this, For the Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand. Until I make your enemies a footstool at your feet. The Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power. And in holy array, from the wound of the dome, your youth are to you as the dew. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings in the day of his wrath. He will judge among the nations, and he will fill them with corpses, and he will shatter the chief men over the broad country. He will drink from the brook by the wayside and there he will lift up his head. Everything in this scripture is talking about a king who is to come. David wrote this probably some 900, nine to 800 years, I'm not gonna get into a great argument, before Christ had even come. And he compares this king who is to come to the order of Melchizedek. What's similar to Jesus and Melchizedek? Because Melchizedek is foreshadowing of Christ. Where he really come from? Do we really know? Yeah, he was born of a virgin. But before that, do we know? It's hard for us to know about a place that we've never been, isn't it? But yeah, he was sitting at his right hand. Like Melchizedek, guess what else? He was born of a cursed people. Because while the cursed people brought blessing, the Levitical people who were the blessed people, they brought a curse. And that curse was the law. And everyone who was under that law was cursed. So just like Melchizedek, Christ came from a cursed people. Christ came 
to bring us righteousness because he is the true king of righteousness. Brothers and sisters, we can't be righteous. We depend on his righteousness. And apart from his righteousness, we're not going to be in the presence of God. We're dependent on him. But you know what else? He brings us peace. He brings us peace. And like I've said many times, and I'll say it again, peace is not the absence of conflict, chaos, or adversity in your life. Peace is having Christ in the middle of that chaos, in the middle of that absolute craziness of life that we live. Because it's different when you're going through a situation and you have Jesus. It's different when people that you love people that you've spent your whole life with go on to be with the Lord. It's different for the people who have Jesus than the ones that don't. And as I was reading this, I wrote this progression down. And I'm going to read it again. Because Hebrews 7, 7 gives the progression of a man. The king of peace and righteousness has always existed. And he's sustained us, blessed us, and provided for us. Before Abraham even knew the promise, because the promise doesn't come to a chapter later, but before Abraham knew the promise of what God was going to do through his family, God was still blessing him. God was still providing for him. And God was still helping him. Before I knew the promise that God had for my life, he was still blessing me. He was still providing for me. And he was still encouraging me. But on a pursuit of perfection, perfection in the law, we did everything in our own power to find peace and to find what is right. And during all that turmoil, the only thing that we found was that we needed something better, something greater, and something more. It showed us that we needed the one from the very beginning who had been sustaining us, the one who had been blessing us, and the one who had provided for us. That pursuit showed us we always needed what was always there. That pursuit showed us we needed Jesus. This is what the writer of Hebrews was trying to tell to a generation of people who had put all their eggs in the basket of being perfect, yet still come up feeling short. Where are you at this morning? Are you the one who's far away from God? Who doesn't know God? But continually, you're blessed. Continually, you're given another day. And continually, you're sustained. This morning, if that is you, in just a few minutes, I'm going to give you a chance to respond. 
Because the one who has been sustaining you, the one who has been providing for you, the one that has loved you, has always been there waiting on you. He loved you so much that even though your sin separated you from him, he sent his son at the right time to die for your sins. And the best thing about Jesus, our sins just aren't covered, they're forgiven. To never be brought up again. And if you will put your faith and trust in him, Turn from your wicked ways and believe in the death that he died on that cross for your sins. Believe that he was laid dead in that tomb for three days and believe that he rose on the third day to show his victory over death and over sin. If you believe in that, then you can know what true righteousness and peace is. For some of us, we're caught in that rut. Because one thing that the Hebrews continually got wrong was they continually got in the rut of doing what's right. Don't get me wrong. We should always do what's right. But we should also know this, that our righteousness does not bring about perfection. Christ's righteousness brings about perfection. And moralism may, look, may make you look like you've got a great life. But your relationship with Jesus Christ is what makes it purposeful. And sometimes we get in those ruts and we go back to those do's and those don'ts. And like I've said before, and I'll say it again, remember, your salvation is not based on what you did. It's based on what he did. And that's what we need to hang on to. Some of you this morning, some of you just need to bask in the fact of this. Jesus has always been there for you. Through the roughest times in your life, he was there sustaining you. He was there providing for you and he was there blessing you. When you were trying to make your life right with him, he made it right for you. And he is the same king today who loved you back then. And the most beautiful part about it is, is he's the same king who will love us and glory when we are with him. That is the hope of where we're going. And some of us just need to give homage and praise to that this morning. If you will, stand with me. Let's pray. And as they sing, I want you to respond. Father, I just want to thank you, Lord. I want to thank you for how good you've been to me. Even when I was far from you, Lord, you never stopped loving me. And what's so crazy, Lord, is I gave you every reason not to love me. But you love me so much that you sent your son to die for me. And Father, even when I was caught up in that whole game of perfection and still get caught up in it today, there's days that I just need to remember that just as I am, you love me. But Father, I wanna thank you. I wanna thank you for the rest and the peace that I have found that only comes in you. And Father, that is what I hope so much for everybody here today. Father, again, I love you and I thank you. Thank you for your word. 
Thank you for speaking it to us. Thank you for speaking it through us. Now, Father, allow your Holy Spirit to do what only it can do. In Jesus' name I pray. Whether you need to come to the altar or whether you need to just stay right where you are, respond to God as he calls you. Hey guys, Pastor Scotty Gerard here, and I just wanted to say thank you for joining us today. We really hope that this has been a resource that's helped you grow in your purpose for God, but also grow in His glory. We also want to extend an invitation to you to join us here in person at Harmony Grove. We are located at 1008 Town Creek School Road in Blairsville, Georgia. We would love for you to come be a part of our service, to be a part of our small groups. If you have children, we have children's classes on Wednesday night and on Sunday morning. And all this information can be found on our website. We'd also like to continue help you in your growth with Christ. If you have a question, maybe a prayer request, or just need to talk to somebody, you can contact us in the emails below in the description, or you can also contact us through our app and through our website, which are also found in the description below. Again, we hope this has been a blessing to you because we know that you joining us today has been a great blessing to us. Thank you so much. God bless. Yeah.